welcome to the Madden America podcast, your source for science, psychiatry, and social justice. Hello, everybody. I'm here today with Amy Biancoli for what I think is going to be a really wonderful and interesting conversation about music, musicians, the music industry, and mental health. We're starting off talking with Chris Bullard, the executive director of Sound Mind Festival, coming up on May 20th in Brooklyn, New York. Amy and I will be there, and I will be on a panel on lived experience with Chris and the musician Langhorn Slim. The festival will address important issues within the music industry, like youth, lived experience, marginalized communities, stigma, and social justice. Hi, I'm Amy Biancoli, family editor for Madden America, and I also report and write for MIA. I'm really excited to be a part of this discussion, um, particularly because I'm a musician myself. I play some amateur fiddle, and I've also written articles specifically on music and mental health. So happy to be here with you, Amy. And I'm Karen Gerbert, and I'm the arts editor here at Madden America. So, Chris, Amy and I are so excited to have you here today for this conversation. And um, I'm going to introduce you a little bit. Uh, Chris Bullard is a former touring musician. Chris performed with acts such as Willie Nelson and Chris Christofferson. Subsequent to receiving his MBA, Chris oversaw portfolio management at Acumen, a global nonprofit impact investing fund focused on poverty alleviation. Chris founded SoundMind based on his personal experience of overcoming mental health stigma after he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in his mid-20s. Prior to founding SoundMind, Chris also founded a music support program for those affected by mental illness with National Alliance on Mental Illness in New York City. Chris holds a BA from University of Southern California and an MBA from Fordham University. So thank you for being here, Chris. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, such an honor and pleasure and, and just love the, the thoughtfulness of everything you're doing and um, how much you, know, you all are, are building such an important dialogue in the world. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. And this, I think this conversation is going to be a real, real wonderful um, exchange. Um, and Amy and I have been looking forward to this for weeks. So, well, music and art is something that uh, really is important to both of us. So, I'm very happy to have you on. Perhaps you could start off with maybe you could describe the origin story, the backstory to the Sound Mind Festival. What inspired you to start it? Yeah, it's a, a great question. Um, so much was built around my own personal lived experience. So, um, when I was first diagnosed with bipolar disorder, I spent, like many uh, in their first uh, episode, uh, I spent 72 hours in a psych ward. Um, and part of that experience, uh, one of the most beautiful things was as, as one of the ways to heal music. I, I've always been a musician and music was such an important way to connect and work through things. And there was a moment uh, in the psych ward where I picked up a guitar and started strumming and playing um, the, the song that always resonates in my memory was sublimes what I got, you know, love is what I got. And there was this moment of everyone kind of coming from out of their rooms and out in the courtyard and joining together in song in the middle of the psych ward. And I think what really hit me was um, 
these were people with very different life experiences um, from people who were homeless on the street to bankers to consultants. Um, and both mental health and music were these unifying forces. Of, we, we were all experiencing all the emotions and feelings and thoughts as well as being able to connect to it and to each other through music. Uh, so that, that was honestly kind of a bit of a standalone moment that didn't really hit me as an inspiration until much later. Um, and like you mentioned in the intro, uh, an artist that I had the pleasure of playing with a few times was Willie Nelson. And he and others started Farm Aid, which is a annual festival for family farmers. And you know, they do such an amazing job of using music, again, as this connective force to bring people together around an important issue, you know, not just going to a festival to party and escape, which, you know, obviously it can be such a joyous way to, um, you know, dive into yourself and others, but also be there for the express purpose of supporting family farming. And as I look back on my own experience with music and how healing it was and how it brought people together in that moment and many others and saw what had been done with Farm Aid, I wanted to create a music festival for mental health, like what had been done with Farm Aid, like what Global Citizen uh, does every year for poverty uh, and mental health of all things. You know, music is such a powerful vehicle for expressing what's going on within us. And so the the genesis was initially, uh, yeah, I had started this music support program in New York City and uh, talking with NAMI in New York City. I just thought, you know what, I'll put on a benefit show. And it was a small, you know, I don't know, then it, it felt like a, a huge feat to put on a show with 250 people attending. And now that feels small now that we're going to have, you know, 5,000 plus at our festival this year. Uh, and I think what was amazing was just the evolution that it's had over the years. So we did it at this small few hour event with the vision of building it into a festival. And then, you know, now it's a full day event uh, that also hosts panels and holistic healing options like yoga and meditation. Um, and each year we've done it, it's grown in terms of the number of partner organizations that are providing resources. And really, you know, the goal is using music as the bridge to bring people together to open up these conversations with artists speaking about their own lived experience and then elevating all the amazing resources that do exist and that there is, yeah, as you both know, there is no one simple path or option for healing. It's, you know, what resonates with you and your own experience and how do we have a, a, a two-way dialogue about this and bringing people together through a festival um, has definitely been amazing to see that happen year over year. And even during the pandemic, we, we did it as a live stream event and had about 10,000 people tuning in on YouTube. And you know, a, a big question in my mind then was, how are we going to have this dialogue component? And then you had in the chat, you know, people talking back and forth about their own experience and cl connecting offline after. And I think that's been uh, the biggest impact for me obviously elevating the resources where people can get support, but just opening up the conversation in a deeper way and music, uh, music's ability to just open all of us um, to conversation, to connection uh, in a way that, you know, if you're just going into 
a support group, for example, sometimes it can feel a bit stiff and tough to really open up and connect, especially for some people. And music has this unique ability to do that. So the festival has uh, evolved in in size and, and I would say also depth over the years of how we're expanding on the experience to bring people together to, to both talk and do activities together and integrate uh, in a community format to, to build deeper connections. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I also want to just note when you were talking about your personal experience around playing music in a mental hospital, um, I have a similar one with a piano um, and, um, and uh, the Moonlight Sonata, which my grandmother taught me. And uh, I remember just being alone for me, just being alone in that room with the piano and music and just remembering uh, just that, that engagement with the sound and um, the playing, it was just an, it was like an oasis of peace in a really, really horrific environment for me. So this, just to see also your sort of way of connecting to the diversity of experience and, and how music brings that, all of that together and can and has the potential to bringing people with varied lived experience together in one experience of, of that, of that sort of comfort and peace and healing. So um, thank you for, for sharing all that. And so glad that that festival has been from 250 to 10,000 over the pandemic. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, it really has been. And, and thank you for sharing that. I, I think there's so many stories like that of both musicians and, you know, with things like music therapy now becoming more common. I think a lot of people who don't consider themselves musicians also using music as this tool for healing. And um, I think music can also be a huge source of broader social change as well. I mean, you know, you look at the civil rights and social justice movements of the 60s and um, events across the country integrating music as an important form of poetry and ways of connecting to the soul of, of, you know, not thinking about people as separate, but really what commonly connects us. And um, I also love this quote. I used to and still do read a lot of philosophy. And uh, there's this beautiful quote by Plato of when the modes of music change, the modes of the state change with them. Both of your stories were so beautiful and they spoke to me um, as, as well, because just as an amateur musician, I've, I've always felt that when I'm making music, I'm opening myself to however you want to define it, to the universe, <laughs> to other people. And you, you're, there's an element of vulnerability when you're making music. And that, as you described, both of you described that piece, but also that sense of connection with something larger. And then when you make music with other people, it's a way, I've always felt this, it's a way to communicate um, you know, non-verbally, which is incredibly freeing. And you form bonds with people that potentially people you don't know from all walks of life. So every time I read the latest piece of research, and there are reams of it showing the powers of music, uh, the healing powers, the, the, the the, the way that music can help children learn and help people with Parkinson's and it, how it helps mental health. I, my response is always, well, yeah. <laughs> 
So I just, I want to thank both of you for sharing those stories because it just, when I hear them, I'm like, well, yeah, that's it. That's, that's, that's music. That's the beauty and power of music in a nutshell. Yeah. It's, it's really incredible. I love what you said about opening up yourself and collectively to something greater uh, is such an amazing part of it. And I love, you know, working more closely with the musicians our organization works with. It's amazing how much I hear that of, I'm not writing these songs. I'm just opening myself up to this, you know, higher power or whatever you want to call it. And the songs are, are speaking through me. And that's the, the, uh, what many musicians find is the way that they're writing. And I think it's so true. And they, what you're saying of like, yeah, which, what science shows when you look at the brain waves of people who are playing together is they start to line up more when they're playing music together or really doing anything together. And for me, that's almost like a, a scientific uh, mirror of that, that phenomenon of we're all just tapping into something that's b beyond our individual selves, which is so beautiful. And which, you know, I think in, in the, the lens of um, people's mental health journeys, I think that's an important phenomenon to be aware of, of just, what are you tapping into beyond what you realize was possible? And that's important to listen to and important to tune into with others. Absolutely. And something I've thought about a lot is when, when the label of mental illness is um, uh, put onto a creative being a, an artist, um, that there are real like ramifications in the, in the political and social justice sense in historical senses where you were saying too, that, you know, music has a, a, a great way of changing the world, changing history, changing social environments. So for me, like, um, I have this real wanting to deepen our understanding of the artistic diversity as it relates to the labeling of mental illness um, and how, how often that has been for marginalized people, which I think artists can be very marginalized in their experience, that it has served as a silencer, that like diet diagnosis has served as a silencer over time for many artists. And when you open up this conversation, it, it starts to bleed into the thought or the discussion of your right to be diverse and creative and innovative and different in the world. Yeah, it's such an important point the right to be creative and different as the way you put it, I think is great. And I remember what came to mind is that our, our very first show, uh, an artist, Langhorn Slim, who's actually playing our festival again this year, said something, I, I'm, I'm not going to quote him exactly, but something along the lines of, you know, when you look at an artist on stage, it's like looking at, you know, and they're flailing about and performing and going wild or crazy. And in, in, in a way, uh, at least many artists, uh, and that it reflects these deeper aspects of ourselves that we're so often taught to push down in modern day society and really society at large for quite some time. And that's both why it looks wild and crazy, but also why you identify with it in this deeper way and why it connects. And I think it is so important for us to be mindful of that. And on one hand, I do think the discussion around artists being open about mental health 
being diagnosed with mental illness has made a lot of people very comfortable in, in opening up and starting this conversation, which is definitely a positive I want to acknowledge. And at the same time, I think the danger is, uh, like you were saying, that creative expressions are being pushed aside because they're coming from someone with a mental illness or something like that. I think we need to be careful. Um, yeah, even just uh, in the language and how, especially artists of, of any type, again, music, writing, dance, any artist with influence. And when you think about that, that doesn't mean you have 100,000 Instagram followers. It's really us all. We all have so much influence. And just being so cognizant of how we're labeling ourselves and labeling our work is tied to that because it can both uh, eat. I, I think what happens a lot in the music community too is sometimes it is put on a pedestal to be struggling with things. Um, the idea of the depressed artists, for example, and you need to be depressed to create or you need to be hopped up on a lot of drugs to be in that one. Right. Yeah. The old pain, pain creates great art kind of, you know, like a trope, right? Yeah. Exactly. And I'm not denying pain can create great art, but you don't need the pain with the, you know, they're, they're related perhaps, but you don't need to be living in pain for that. And I think if you talk to anyone who's gone through a recovery journey, they would definitely agree with that. I mean, I haven't talked to anyone who said, you know, I, I was in a place of great pain and I was able to move through that. And now I'm clean and sober, but I miss my creativity. You don't really, you don't hear that story. You hear, I realized that I didn't need it and I could still tap into that creativity. That's kind of part of this conception we have of musicians and artists in general. And, you know, I'm just struck by, well, I'm struck by so much in this conversation, but there is, there's such a paradox also, isn't there? Like, um, as you know, we've been discussing, music is so good for you on so many levels, and you you do not need to be in distress to create uh, significant, beautiful music to have a, a career. But at the same time, so many people who do pursue it as a career, um, they struggle. Um, and uh, like the Sound Mind website uh, cites a statistic um, that seventy three percent of musicians live with mental health issues. And I was, I was curious about that. Um, uh, so I Googled it and uh, I, I found that statistic in a, a recent Swedish study of independent musicians specifically. Uh, and, and, and just, just to add, my mother was a, a, a concert violinist and she used to talk about the stressors of the industry um, and she dealt with them fine. And she didn't, she didn't grapple with that. But she observed it firsthand. So I, I was really struck by this this one study of independent musicians because it also showed that the numbers for young indie musicians were even starker, like 80% of them citing um, negative mental health issues related to their music careers. Could you speak to that a little bit, that, that paradox that music is so good for you, but if you pursue it as a career, you run up against often, not everybody, but often, and in specific slices of, of the music industry, especially, you, you, you run up against these hurdles that can really affect you. Yeah, it's such an important phenomenon to 
really dive into. I think there's so many aspects of it. Uh, it obviously it's not music that's causing these mental health issues, but the way, like you're saying, that the industry is set up, that our society is set up around music and, and really all of the arts makes it very difficult. I mean, one aspect is just you know, especially now that touring is such a large aspect of revenue for for artists, touring can be extremely difficult on mental health. You know, you're constantly changing your environment. You're likely getting less sleep than you normally would. A bunch of pre precursors that can activate uh, any mental health issues you might already be predisposed to add on a culture that at least historically has been very heavily focused on like drinking, partying, drugs. Uh, I think there's become more of an acknowledgement around that and awareness around that. Uh, but there's still a long way to go. And and then finally, the aspect of in order to make it as a musician, you continue to bring on people around you to support you. So you can focus on the art. And then you have your manager and your agent and your touring crew. And pretty soon, I mean, you are like the owner of a huge company where all these people at the end of the day in your company are reliant on you and your creative output for their financial well-being and their livelihood. And that can be a lot of pressure. And I think that's what you hear from a lot of artists who are canceling tours or perhaps even not canceling tours due to mental health is because they feel the pressure of, yes, I can cancel this tour or this album or this date, but that not only impacts me, it impacts everyone around me. And just like how having a family or loved ones can complicate your own decisions because you're worried about how this impacts everyone around you. Um, that can be really tough to, to hold for an individual. And I, I think as a result, especially for artists and the music community, it's really important to tap into what you need because you can't take care of anyone else unless you can do what you need to be healthy. So I, I just say all the, I think these are all contributing factors to that phenomenon as well as that, yeah, I just think historically artists, there's been studies around this too. Artists feel things more deeply, tend to feel things more deeply than others. They're very sensitive people. And, you know, there's a lot of correlation between mental health issues and sensitivity to what's going on and both within yourself and outside of yourself. Is this, do you think, where some awareness within the music industry itself could play a role? I mean, what what could help change implement change in, in these things is the music inst- industry itself need to change and is there a sense of i don't know any movement in that direction yes and yes uh, there it does need to change and there is a sense of movement and momentum i mean in, in the five years sound mind has been around we've been a part of a lot of discussions um both with labels and managers, as well as others trying to do similar work specifically for the music community. So a number of organizations and consulting firms have popped up to try to help specifically the music industry with context-based therapy, educating companies and employees at companies how to take care of their mental health. And I think with the, especially in America, with our high productivity mindset and productive output being such a part of our identity, you know, our careers 
being tied to our identity in many cases, it can be really tough. And this happens has to happen in all industries. And um, as far as sound mind goes, we've really focused on how do how can we start with the music industry, at, at least for us as an example, and take from where it historically has been to a much better place. Uh, and for me, that really just starts with leadership um, at all levels, you know, people speaking up when they feel like their mental health isn't being supported, whether that's artists or crew members, you know, sometimes crew members are working 16 hour shifts uh, and and people speaking up as well as leaders saying, hey, this is a priority and we want to take care of everyone's mental health. And for example, uh, one of our board members runs an artist management company and they have little mental health retreats with their artists every now and then and have regular policies in place to support the artist's well-being. And so I think just sharing these examples is really important. And then the leadership um, from every individual around making this a priority. So I'm thinking as you're talking, um, does the current narrative of mental wellness, which excludes states like what we call psychosis and hearing voices and things like that from the category of wellness, always um, using that language of wellness versus illness, is that does that give us the path to actually destigmatize? Um, those states. Yeah, I, I think the problem is that binary views in general are going to have this effect if you get stuck in the binary view. You know, it's like um, black, white, queer, straight, mentally ill, well. I think what we're coming to as a society, or at least what I believe is true, is all of these are spectrums. And to acknowledge behind the spectrum, there's a shared humanity. And whenever we can drop back into that language and that connection of humanity, we're, we're able to really heal on a deeper level. And sometimes, you know, we live, we live in a world that where there, there are binaries, there is black, white, up, down, um, but those are all constructs so that we can understand the world. And I think we have to remember that they're all just constructs that we invented. And so I think it can, I think the disease framework can for some help reduce stigma around talking about these things and make people feel less othered because they might even feel a bond with others who share a diagnosis, for example. However, I think a lot of the deeper work that needs to get done to drop into that complete state of cohesion and unity that we are as a humanity, I think that gets lost if we don't have a deeper framework with which we're talking. So I know for me, at least, you know, the disease framework was maybe a pathway um, where, it, like you were saying, like I, there was a point, you know, I, I identified with the disease framework. It was very othering for me at the same time uh, in the way you were saying and I think I, I think a lot about shamanistic cultures where if you're experiencing altered states uh, or things that are deeply troubling there's typically a 
guide that has experienced these states and gone through them and recovered. And I think support groups can be that or could be that. Um, but so often in our society, we're tied to, sadly, the disease framework is often a very rationalistic one where it's, this is right, wrong, and we need to fix you back into the right frame of view rather than let's incorporate and integrate this experience into that deeper sense of yourself and, and, you know, what we're calling illness um, or unwell might be states that are less healthy for you to be a whole individual or perceptions of the world that might be less healthy or whole um, for you to live your best life. Um, and I, I don't think those are necessarily need to be held within a disease framework. It could be a spiritual framework. Um, and it, so my answer is, I think it's possible to do, but there's a lot of restructuring around the way we support people and talk about this and educate people, not only about, you know, a, a health journey, a, a medical health journey, but a deeper like human health journey that this is all part of. I'm just curious if you're, if you're open to talking about it, um, to hear your aha moment. Did you have one? Did you have an epiphany? when the light bulb went off and you started to question, um, you know, and more generally this binary framework for the world, but also the usual psychiatric drug-based treatments. Um, did you have a moment like that? And if so, could you describe it for us? Yeah, that's a good question. And I don't know if there was a singular moment a, f a few different ones come to mind. I mean, I know from the second I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, the feeling that it wasn't a two-way dialogue of learning was really counter to the way I thought things should have gone. It felt very much like this is what you have. I, I don't, you know, I don't even think they framed it as like this is something wrong with you, but it was, it was just kind of this is the label of what this is and i felt my experience is so much richer than a label um and then some of that was my own work to just realize like it's just the word it's just a label you know like the the word uh organizational leader doesn't define me but it is one of the things that kind of classifies what you know some of my behaviors um so, but I, I struggled with that response from the very beginning. And I think for me, it wasn't until I started reading psychiatrists and medical researchers and philosophers and who, who really had a different view of this and people who would traditionally be not woo-woo, but like considered accepted by the general rationalist society with, within which we live. Um, one of the first was Stanislav Grof, um, who if folks don't know, you know, he did a lot of research around altered states, um, LSD. He founded you know, what is now holotropic breathwork and just saw the spectrum of the, these are all related to what people call men mental illness as well. Like these are all very similar states and what we call mental illness might be actually a spiritual emergency or like something emerging from deeper within. And 
People like Carl Jung have talked about this, and even William James, the you know one of the founders of American psychology. Um, and then I also saw an amazing documentary I'd recommend to folks called Crazy Wise that followed a number of uh, individuals. It's well done. It's neither. I think they paint a really full picture of, of um, the beauty and the struggle of, of people who are facing these deeper challenges. Um, and a lot, and some of what they talked about in there was the shamanistic culture and how this is viewed from other societies. So I think it was for me, a lack of exposure prior to my diagnosis of there are so many other ways to view this that aren't just me in my own head, rationalizing something, you know, I think when I was first diagnosed, it was okay. Yeah. I can think this was a beautiful experience of psychosis. I can think that there's deeper meaning here, but no one else around me is like reinforcing that worldview. And until I came to writers and researchers who were reinforcing this world, and now I have a whole community that agrees with this worldview and is trying to kind of bring these worlds together and help educate others through lived experience. Um, So I think just that moment of awareness uh, that other people share this, this worldview um, is really um validating really validating and really important so chris just doubling back to the festival itself for a moment um you just you were just speaking now about the the openness of many musicians to talk about this stuff to be authentic and tell their own stories so the lineup that you have is really cool (laughs) i mean it includes um Iron and Wine, which is the stage name of singer-songwriter Irvin Beam. And then you have the folk band His Golden Messenger. Uh, you had mentioned uh, Langhorn Slim, the singer-songwriter. Uh, and then you also have singer and rapper Kamau. And then uh, indie grunge band Pom Pom Squad uh, featuring frontwoman Mia Barron. I'm just really interested, like, why why those acts? Uh, does it have to do with their own experiences in the music industry, their own openness in talking about all this stuff? Was there something specific to maybe even the music itself, um, like how they express things through their music? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, it's artists who want to help support this cause of opening up dialogue and deeper dialogue. Um, and most of those artists um, we've worked with in, in some capacity before, um, either on our podcast, like Mia from Prom Home Squad has been our, on our podcast, um, His Golden Messenger, we did a prior event with. Um, and, you know, so, so we, we won have seen just the the beauty with which these artists talk about these issues and care about these issues and from very different angles. And and part of that different angles and perspectives aspect is really important, especially when we think about music. So like you mentioned, when you were describing, these are artists coming from multiple genres and viewpoints, um, different backgrounds of where they grew up um, and music can speak to people in such different ways. Um, so, you know, even more so than, you know, you're going to have three, three speakers at an event or 10 speakers at an event, 
you know, obviously you want them to speak about different subjects, but music connects with people in such different ways. So, you know, moving from folk to grunge to hip hop to funk, um, whenever we program our events or even our digital programming, we're trying to also be very cognizant of reaching everyone and reaching them with in different ways, not only with what the artists themselves have experienced, but also how the form in which they're expressing it, which is usually, you know, like their, their genre of music or however you would define it. So that's some of the thinking that, you know, obviously some of it's who, who is available. And, you know, when we put out a call of like who wants to join, um, we're being selective with, with who we ask. Um, but then, you know, there's so many who would have loved to be there that, that couldn't, you know, many artists are, like I said, on tour constantly and have conflicting dates. But that that's some of the thinking, at least, that, that we give to artists we work with at our events. Well, and is there an element of all, I mean, speaking to all of this, are, are you thinking as well about the the people who go to the festival? I mean, because I'm constantly struck whenever I go to any kind of a concert or live music event or festival, no matter what the genre, there's this bond even among the people themselves. Like, um, well, just for instance, it just hits me now. Like this weekend, I I went to hear Beethoven's Ninth performed by the Albany Symphony and this amazing, they're amazing. And then the choir, Albany Pro Musica. So I went to hear Beethoven's Ninth and I'm in this (laughs) beautiful hall and and this sense of connection just among the people in the audience was profound. And I, I was dwelling on it. Even as I listened to it, I thought, what, what is it about music? And is it, is it, I, I actually interviewed an archaeologist once speaking to this, um, Stephen Methan, um, talking about how innate it is to humanity to sit around a fire outside a cave during the ice age and someone's making music and, and the, the group bonds around it. Is that part of what you're trying to do with um, sound mind, not just the message of the music itself and the musicians, but to kind of create that sense of, of bonding of, of community. Yeah, I love that you brought up um, the ancestral history of, of music because that's where my head was going. Um, just we, we've done this for centuries and millennia, and as, as long as humans have existed, we've gathered and used music as a way to to connect and and build these bonds. And that's definitely a huge part of what we're trying to do, and to you know, kind of what we were speaking about earlier around how so much of the narrative around mental illness can sometimes be divisive, even even if it's not trying to be, even if it's trying to be helpful. Um, it can be, it can feel difficult and it can feel divisive and a huge goal of the festival and using music as a vehicle is, this is also a celebration. This is a celebration of all we go through and how despite the hardship and different perspectives, there's so that's what makes life beautiful is that we get through, you know, you can't have the light without the dark and uh, it's okay to express these things. And that is a, a very big part of it. And we, last year we did it um, in Central Park in New York City at Summer Stage. And it was a beautiful event. At, and at the same time, I think one of the things we saw that we really wanted was more experiential elements where already 
audiences can mingle and interact with art and interact with each other. And that's why we're doing it on the streets of New York this year, because just the, the grounds last year, it, it, a lot of people were mixing, but it felt a little too much like there was a stage and then everyone else, as opposed to having so many different elements of an event where people could mix and mingle and leverage the arts and music as a way to connect deeper in so many other ways and build new bonds and friendships, hopefully as well. Um, so what do you think, I mean, I keep been touching on, on <laughs> all, all sorts of, of different elements of this, but uh, what do you want people to know? Um, what should people know about music, about the music industry, about what it means to be happy, grounded, well, human, all of that? I mean, like these conceptions that, 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 that you've been discussing of, you know, mental health, recovery. Um, yeah, is there anything else that, that we haven't touched on in terms of what you hope are the takeaways, both from this conversation and from the festival? I think what I really would love people to walk away with is that this idea of breaking down boundaries and barriers and the the classic example of like the diversity of a rainbow is what makes it beautiful. I think when you go to a music festival um, and you hear all sorts of different genres of music and types of artists on stage, and different stories being told. That's that's what makes it beautiful. And sometimes if you go to an event that is just all the same thing or very similar things over and over again, it becomes monotonous and it doesn't help you expand your own consciousness and experience and you don't meet new people that expand your way of viewing the world. And for me, that is very tied to what we've been talking about in terms of our own uh experiences related to the framework of mental health and that it's not a binary issue of I'm, I'm well, I'm unwell, but what are these experiences that I'm being faced with or people I'm being faced with and how can the diversity of this really add to the flavor of life? And um, I think that reframing around mental health is really what potential music has in in the conversation and i think music has that potential across the board you know even just like you're saying coming together and perform with other people it's like the reason it's so beautiful is because people have different voices and are playing different instruments and i think we need to think the similar way about different perspectives around viewing and interpreting the world and as long as people are living healthy lives filled with love that where they can take care of themselves and others um you know we should be able to to uplift all those different points of view i love that so much chris thank you so much and and i love how you're saying that um to just use these experiences these the diversity of these experiences to kind of expand our compassion for one another and understanding of each other's wholeness um that's just beautiful well, I, this festival, is, I'm looking forward to it. And Chris, you've done such a wonderful job with it. And thank you so much for founding it and putting it together and bringing it to all these, like the, you're, you're very, um, I'm very, I admire how, um, how much you're bringing in different voices and different um, perspectives and trying to really hold all of what we are as a community of people you know, with these, these experiences. So thank you for your work. I enjoyed this so much. Um, 
you're both so wonderful to talk to and thank you for this opportunity. And again, just the work that you all are doing and, and just so excited we all got to, got to connect. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Madden America podcast. Visit maddenamerica.com for more news, views, and updates.